Well, dear friends, let's turn, shall we, to the good word of God. And I want to read just one verse from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And it is this great verse, verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body, be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just for the benefit of those who were not here last week, let me just tell you what we were thinking about very quickly because tonight's teaching is a continuation from last week. And last week we, we mentioned the fact that atheism and secularism and humanism is making inroads and they're on the march. And one of the things that they have in common is the belief that there is no God, there's no heaven, no hell, no life after death, that when you're dead, you're dead. And we were thinking last week of the great subject of the intermediate state of the believer between death and resurrection. That was the theme last Sunday, the intermediate state of the believer, the Christian, between death and resurrection. And we, we dealt with it in two ways. First of all, we dealt with it by stating what it is not. And we looked at six negatives. And we notice it's not so sleep. There's no intermediate body, not purgatory. They have not yet received, they have not yet entered the celestial city. They have not yet received their reward. And uh, they have not yet received their glorified bodies. And those were the six negatives that emphasized what it is not. And then we looked at it as to what it is. And we noticed three positives. One, that the believer, when he or she dies, is with Christ. And then with Christ consciously and with Christ locally. Where he is, they are in his presence. Now, this evening, we're going to continue this great subject because it is a very important subject. And all of us should be vitally interested in this particular subject and aspect of eschatology. Because not only are we confronted with atheism, and secularism and humanism on one side. But sad to say, we are continually confronted 
with false cults that also try to show to us what they believe concerning this very important subject. And they bring their heresy, they bring their error along with them. So we've got to be established, grounded in the faith if we're going to confront these particular people. Let me give you one or two examples. No doubt you've heard of the Seventh-day Adventists. They place great emphasis, of course, on the Fourth Commandment to keep the Sabbath day. Now, don't get confused between the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. The Jewish Sabbath commenced on Friday evening at sunset, right about six o'clock, and it concluded on Saturday at sunset, right about six o'clock. Now, that is the Jewish Sabbath. The Lord's Day is not the Sabbath. The Lord's Day is the first day of the Christian week. But the Seventh-day Adventists, they believe that we should still keep the Sabbath. Now here's one of their fundamental beliefs. Now I'm quoting them, it's not my words, these are their words. Here is what number 10 of the fundamental beliefs says. That the condition of man in death is one of unconsciousness. That all men, good and bad alike, remain in the grave from death to the resurrection. So the Seventh-day Adventists believe that it is one of unconsciousness unto the resurrection. Now here is what the Christadelphians believe. No doubt you've heard of them, Christadelphians. And this is their booklet. Is there really life after death? And here's what they say on page 9. When people die, they simply cease to exist. They are unconscious in the sleep of death. So that's what they believe. Now, no doubt you have had a visit from time to time from the Jehovah's Witnesses. They've come to my door many times and I have confronted them. I have argued with them. I've debated with them. And I think I'm on the blacklist. Don't go to 4 Lewis Avenue. But anyway, here's the little booklet. What does the Bible really teach? And here's what they say on page 58. When a person dies, he ceases to exist. Death is the opposite of life. The dead do not see or hear or think. Not even one part of us survives the death of the body. We do not possess an immortal soul or 
Spirit. So there we have the Seventh-day Adventists, the Christadelphians, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and that is what they believe. Now we need, dear friends, to come back to the Word of God and to be established in this great truth of what the Bible has to say. And to that end, we're going to draw our attention this evening to some scriptures that throws light on this particular subject. And that is why I have referred to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, because there we find that the Apostle Paul clearly states, And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is the only scripture in the Bible that brings these three parts together. And we could refer to this as the the tripartite nature of the believer. That is to say, we consist of three parts. An unsaved person is bipartite. He only or she only exists in two parts, the body and the soul. But the Christian is tripartite. He or she consists of spirit and soul and body. Now let me take these in the reverse order. First of all, we have the body. And this, of course, is very simple. Because you've got one and I've got one. The Greek is soma for body. Soma. Keep that in mind. Now, by our body, that makes us world conscious. Through the five senses of sight, hearing, touch, smell, taste. And by these five senses, these five senses, we are world conscious. The body. You've got one, I've got one. So the body, Soma, makes us the world conscious. Uh, over the years, I have had people say to me, perhaps on a Sunday morning, they probably say, Pastor, I'd not be here this evening. I've got a, another engagement. I've got to make a visit, but I'll be with you in spirit. I usually say to them, very graciously, of course, uh, next time, please bring your body. I don't like speaking to disembodied spirits. But you see, they're with us in spirit, but the body's not there. So the body, self-conscious, makes us world-conscious. And then, of course, the soul. The Greek is suki, and uh, that is self-conscious. The me, the I. My dear friends, I hope you don't misunderstand me. But you look at me tonight, and what do you see? You only see my soma, 
You only see by body. You don't see by soul. And I look at you this evening, lovely company of people, but I don't see your souls. I only see your bodies. Because the real you and the real me lives and it dwells in the body. So when you look at yourself tomorrow morning, as you probably do in the mirror, you're just looking at your body, the outward form, the outward shape. But you're not looking at your soul. You can't see your soul because it dwells within your body. So you've got the body, the soma, making us world conscious through the five senses. You've got the soul, the suki, and that makes us self-conscious, the me and the I. And then, of course, you've got spirit. The Greek is pneuma. And this makes us God-conscious. That is why we can sense and feel God's presence. And that is wonderful. Now you probably said to me, but Stanley, wait a minute. You have said that uh, unsaved people, they have only got Soma and Suki, but they haven't got Numa, they haven't got Spirit. Why is that? Well, do you remember what the Lord said in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus? He introduced Nicodemus to the great subject of the new birth. Do you remember Nicodemus came along with his wee party piece and he said, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles which you do us except God be with him. And then the Lord said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again, or more literally, born from above. And then he said these words, very, listen very carefully. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And when a man or a woman gets converted to and turns to God in true repentance and calls upon God for salvation the Holy Spirit does his marvelous work of regeneration and he quickens that man and he quickens that woman and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit so that in addition to the body and the soul he is made spiritually alive in the spirit and he then consists of body soul and spirit through the work of regeneration by the spirit of God now then when a believer dies the believer's body is either buried in the cemetery or is it. But it is the soul, the spirit, 
that enters into the immediate state between death and resurrection. So notice that distinction. The body is either buried or committed to, and it is the soul spirit that enters into the intermediate state between death and resurrection. And we saw that from last week from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in which the Apostle Paul says that to be absent out of the body is to be at home with the Lord. As quick as that. Absent out of the body is to be at home with the Lord. And Paul has said, he says, I've got this great desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. So keep that in mind concerning the tripartite nature that you have this evening. Body, the sober, the soul, the suki, and the spirit, the, the nuba. Now then, Another scripture that throws light on this is in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. And let's just refer to that for a few minutes this evening. Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. And here is what the Lord said in Luke 16 and verse 19. He says, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abram's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and saved Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Now let me stop there, because we need to give some teaching with regard to this particular portion of scripture there are those especially of the false cults who would say well this is only a parable that the Lord Jesus taught you can't take it literally it is only a parable well dear friends to take that argument if it is only a parable well then what does it mean if it's only a parable it has to mean something and not yet has there been a proper interpretation of the so called parable some would also believe that it was something that was believed by the Pharisees and the Lord was holding it up for ridicule and for criticism also some believe you can't take it literally 
because it speaks of the blind, uh, the, 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 the beg or the, the rich man seeing and feeling and remembering and so forth. But of course that is contradicted by a reference in Zechariah 12 and 1 in which it says God formed the spirit of man which was in him. Now let me state a personal belief this evening dear friends and I don't say this in a dogmatic sense I do not believe that this is a parable that the Lord taught I do not believe that he was holding this pharmaceutical teaching up for ridicule I believe that he was shedding light upon a very important aspect of what happens after death. Now remember, he said this before his death and resurrection from the dead. That's very important. Because it says in verse 23, And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. Ah, we say immediately, oh, that means the final state of the ungodly, the unsaved, at the judgment. That's how we look upon hell. But, dear friends, the Greek word that is here, and the word the Lord used, is Hades. Hades is the Greek word, which is the equivalent to the Hebrew word Sheol in the Old Testament so Sheol in the Old Testament is the same as Hades in the New Testament the same so the Lord's not referring to the ultimate punishment of the unsaved when it speaks of hell he's referring to Hades now follow this very carefully up to the time of our Lord's resurrection everyone who died went into Hades because Hades was divided into two parts you have the, the righteous part known as Abraham's bosom and you've got the other part where the rich man was and between the two the Lord says there is a great gulf between the two you see that the rich man in Hades he sees Abraham and he sees Lazarus in Abraham's bosom and the Lord as it were is lifting the curtain and he's letting us see what happens when a person dies up to the time of his resurrection all went into Hades either into the righteous part of Abraham's bosom where all the godly or the patriarchs would have went and then the ungodly would have went into the other place where the rich man was we must keep that in mind. There's a different word used, a different Greek word used for the punishment of the unsaved in a time that is yet to come. And it's not Hades, it is Gehenna, which is different from Hades. 
Now, the important thing is this. And here it is. It gets a wee bit deep. Here's the rich man in, in, in Hades. And notice that he's not unconscious. As we're told by the foul sex. For example, he could see. Verse 23. He could feel, verse 24. He could recognize, verse 24, verse 23. He could speak, he could hear, and he could remember. He remembered his five brethren who were still living. Now, here's the mystery. Here's the problem. This rich man has died. And it says he was buried. Now we're not saying that about Lazarus. When he died, maybe he wasn't even buried. He was a beggar. But the angels came and took his soul, his spirit, into Abraham's bosom. The rich man, no doubt, had a great funeral. And he died and was buried. But we find in Hades, he could see he could feel, he could recognize, he could speak, he could hear, he could remember. Now here's the mystery. How could he see without eyes? How could he feel without having bodily functions, the hand? How could he recognize without his brain? How could he speak without a tongue? How could he hear without hearing, without ears? And how could he remember without memory? Because these are things that we associate with the soma, the body. And here, dear friends, we are entering one of the great mysteries of that particular state at that time. We don't know exactly because we have stepped from time into eternity. We have stepped from something that we're familiar with into something that is beyond our ken. And I have to confess, I don't know. But you see, the Lord's throwing light upon it. And he is contradicting what these false sacks are saying, that there's no consciousness, that there's no life after death. Here we find the rich man. And he could see and feel and recognize and speak and hear and remember. And yet his body is in the tomb. What applied to the rich man also applied to Lazarus because the Abraham said he was being comforted. And here we find us in deep water as to how these things can be. But there it is in Luke chapter 16. Now then, that was the position up to the time of our Lord's resurrection. Because at our Lord's resurrection, something wonderful took place. Because the Bible says that our Lord Jesus has brought life and immortality light through the gospel. 
and something happened to him. When our Lord Jesus died on the cross and was buried in the tomb, on the third day he rose again from the dead. Now, do you remember when he was on the cross? There were two thieves. One thief said, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and us. The other thief said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Now what did the Lord say to him? Verily I say unto thee today, shalt thou be with me in paradise. What's he referring to? He's referring to that when he died on the cross and when the thief died on the cross, that very day that both of them would be in the righteous part of Hades. Because that's where the Lord Jesus went when he died on the cross. He descended into Hades. Now let me show you this. Let's go to the Acts of the Apostles, uh, chapter 2, friends. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2. Uh, this is Peter speaking of the day of Pentecost. Uh, look at verse 24. For God have raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he was on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore my heart did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou will not leave my soul in hell, remember Sheol, here it is, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. And then Peter says, Better brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Now notice this. Therefore being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the stone. He, saying this before, speak of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, it is, neither did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus have God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. So when the Lord died... On that good Thursday, not good Friday, as we say, but on good Thursday at three o'clock, he, along with the dying thief that repented, descended into the righteous part of Hades. And was there for those three days and for those three nights. But we rejoice to be not that on the third day something wonderfully happens because the Bible says it was not possible that death could hold him we die because we sin but here's someone who was sinless 
And he took the sinner's place uh, and he died for the sinner. But he himself had no sin. And having paid the debt uh, and made the glorious atonement, uh, it was not possible that death could hold him. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. They went, to the, um, they went to the tomb, saw the stone rolled away, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. I must say, hallelujah. He rose from the dead. Ah, let's go to uh, uh, another wonderful scripture. Yes, let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. And look at, look, at verse, um, look at verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high... He led captivity captive, or more literally from the Greek, he led a multitude of captives and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that it might fill all things. So what that was this, dear friends? When our Lord Jesus rose from the dead and after 40 days ascended back to his Father, he took all the righteous that were in the righteous part of Hades and he took them right up into glory and that particular part of Hades is vacant and it will never be occupied again. He led a great multitude of captives. And that is where they are tonight. But the other part of Hades, where the rich man was, that is still there. And that is where every unsaved person goes when they die. To await the final judgment. And then it will be no longer Hades. It will be then for them Gehenai. Which is sad to say. Now how do we know this? Well do you remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul mentioned experience he had 14 years ago. In which he says he was caught up into heaven. And then he says caught up into paradise. And heard things unspeakable. And unlawful for people to hear. So there we find that Paul is caught up not down but caught up into paradise, into the third heaven. Now let us come back to this particular aspect of the believer between death and resurrection. If we accept the Lord's teaching in Luke chapter 16 Fully conscious, in some way we can't understand. What are they doing? Have you ever thought of that? Well, let me tell you, dear friends, 
They are praying for you and praying for me. We don't believe in praying for the dead. But thank God the Bible clearly teaches that those that have passed from time into eternity into the Lord's presence, they are there and they are praying for us. Is that a tremendous thought today, friends? And their prayers would be in sync with the mind of God. Because they're in his presence. And they'll be able to ask according to his will and to his purpose. So they're thinking of you, thinking about me, praying for you, praying for me. And in a way that we can't really comprehend, they are enjoying the presence of the Lord. That is why Paul said, he says, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Not loss, but to die is gain. Now tell me, what gain would it be for the Apostle Paul to be there for nearly 2,000 years unconscious, extinct? No gain at all. But our Paul realized, absent out of the body, is to be present with the Lord. And thank God they're waiting for that glorious time in which the trumpet shall sound and the voice of the archangels ever heard. The Lord shall return with a great host of his people disembodied at the time, unclothed, and then to be reunited with not the body that was buried or cremated, but a body that is glorified like unto his glorious body but let me tell you this dear friends you will still be you and I will still be I but I meet you in the glory with your resurrection body. I shall, I shall recognize you. Oh yes, that's those people that I used to preach in, in Moodysburg. Oh yes, uh, I remember them. Oh yes, remember Graham uh, and Sam and the others. But I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's something different about them. They look different. Because they will be glorified. Oh, what a glorious hope. In his presence. And then with a new body. No more aches and pains. <laughs> no more migraine headaches. No more heartaches. No more sickness. No more dying. A body like unto his glorious body. As you know, I think I mentioned this last Sunday. Let me mention it again. That unless these things happen... When the dead are raised and the living changed in the trick of an eye, then there's going to be a tremendous mass choir and we're going to sing a tremendous song. And uh, I know what it is. And here it is. Oh, death. Oh, death. Where is your sting? 
O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a saviour. What a salvation. And we shall be forever with the Lord. Now, have you ever thought of this? What age do you think you'll be in your glorified body? You'll not be old. You'll not be a teenager. Now, it has been suggested, and it's only a suggestion, that it could be that your glorified body could be like when you were 33 years of age. Now, for some of you, that's been back a long, long, long time. Now, why do I say that? Well, our Lord Jesus, he died when he was 33 years of age. And some have suggested that, that, that our glorified bodies could resemble us when we were 33 years of age. Now, it's only a thought, friends. It may not happen. But we, 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 we won't be old. We won't be children or teenagers. I can hardly wait to find out what age I'm going to be in the supernatural, in the glorified body. Now, I realise, dear friends, this evening that uh, this subject has been easy to speak on. Uh, you probably said it has been easy to listen to, but uh, it's the teaching of the Bible. And it's been my prayer that these studies last week and this evening will throw light upon a very important subject. Because there's no need for us to, to be fear of death. Because for the Christian, it is absent from the body and immediately in the presence of our wonderful and glory. And think of it. To look upon his face. Oh, what a, what a time that's going to be. To look upon his lovely face. And just to say, thank you, the Lord, for saving my soul. May the Lord bless you. And thank you for listening so patiently. And I trust I've got you thinking. That's uh, the purpose of a teacher, not to do all the thinking for you, but to get you thinking. And you may disagree with me. I, I love to be checked out. Check me out, friend. Don't believe everything I say. Check it out from the Bible. And if you don't agree with me, well, come and see me. And you, you could teach me what I don't know, because we're all learning. Oh, but the Lord bless you. I hope to stop.